All right. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. This is segment two. Um, here with Keith Goldston, Master Sommelier, uh, into Seattle from Washington, D.C. on a, um, a Portuguese wine tour. And we're going to talk about this great lunch we had at Solari today. And with, uh, I think it was 12 wines, actually 13 with counting the uh, Tawny Port. Um, but Keith, tell us about uh, what your position is now and what you're doing in Washington, D.C. Uh, yeah, hi Chris. Um, I am currently the wine director for the Rosewood Hotel in uh, Washington, D.C. We're a little boutique hotel in Georgetown, and um, it's kind of fun. It's I joke it's like one of the last adult dining rooms in the country, you know, where there's actually big tables, comfortable chairs, people actually buy $1,000 bottles of wine, and it's it's a fun room to work as a song. You know, people are like, huh, this Domaine Laflave Chevalier Montrachet, why is this $1,200? You're like, well, you're like, well, let me tell you about that. And they actually will buy it, and you get to open them. So it's one of the first rooms I've been in since Vegas where you get to play in that arena. So it's kind of fun. I love that. You don't find any Primox in some of those Laflave wines, though, do you? Amazingly enough, the last bottle that got sold at the restaurant, um, a guy in the industry, too, drinks the whole thing. Then when the check gets dropped, he's like, oh, that was a little Primox. Can, I, uh, can we get can take some of the price off. <laughs> like, are you? You're in the industry too. Okay, that's yeah. a no-no for everybody in the industry. You well, got to mention something. Even better, he was one of my distributors, and I buy a couple hundred thousand dollars of wine from him every year. And and he's posting photos on Facebook of his yacht in Maserati. Uh-huh. Okay, so there's principle, and then there's uh, something else. So um, this is a boutique hotel. Do you do you get some famous people in there? Um, we've had our, our fair share, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice because it's a little quiet, tucked away, so it's easy to sneak people in and out, and, you know, like um, when President Obama gave Ellen the, uh, the Medal of Honor, she actually stayed, and it was pretty awesome because she had a bottle of Mouton, and she joked that they had a bottle of Mouton on the flight over. I'm like, that's a good day when you can have two bottles of Mouton in the same day. Yeah, I wonder what uh, airline she's flying, <laughs> probably Ellen did, yeah, Ellen Air. Um, so, a- as a member of the uh, Court of Master Sommeliers, there's probably 219 or 20 Master Sommeliers here. Uh, what's the wine culture like in Washington, D.C.? Because we could say that it's full of lobbyists and politicians and, and no one cares. It's all about just trying to impress everybody. But what's your impression? Um, it's actually a pretty surprisingly good wine scene. Um, I would say on the back side of it, the sommelier community is one of the stronger ones I've seen. Um, I opened a restaurant there in 0304 Charlie Palmer Steak, and at that time I was the only master sommelier there. Um, there was one person setting for the advance, Kathy Morgan. So I started tasting with Kathy, and we started a tasting group that would meet once a week. Um, that group is still meeting. And I mean, granted, people have like passed the baton on who's leading it, but that still that same tasting group is still in effect. It's actually gotten so big that there's now a Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Wow! So three different days, and there's usually anywhere from five to twenty people that show up. So there's this great kind of support group, and a lot of people chasing it. Um, there's now Kathy, unfortunately, just moved to New York, but she was a longtime master psalm. She went on to become a master, um, and then we have two other masters in the town. So cool. It's a good little community. And, and, um, and one of the benefits of being a master sommelier is that obviously uh, you're, you're known throughout the, the world, world of wine. And 
here you have an opportunity to uh, jump on and uh, wave a flag in Portugal. How did this come about? Um, yeah, it's kind of a fun little fortuitous situation because of my current situation with Rosewood, where I get one week out of every month to teach, travel, and consult. And one of my longtime clients, and who I've done a lot of work for, is Evan Goldstein, fellow master sommelier in his company, Full Circle Wine Solutions. And Full Circle, one of their clients, is Vini Portugal, or Wines of Portugal. And between Evan and myself and Eugenio, who I think you've had on the show, um, we basically kind of travel around the U.S. and just kind of drop into a hot little market like Seattle and ideally show the wines in a good situation. And, you know, teaching and sharing awesome and I love it so the chance you know it's like wait you're gonna pay me to drink wines and talk about them so there's that part of me that's like don't mess this up just keep it flowing keep having fun with was it. don't ask don't tell <laughs> No, it's keep drinking and keep talking and don't mess it up. Oh, fantastic. So today we had um, a flight of white wines and two flights of red wines. Um, when we think about Portugal, I don't know that people actually get it. We think about Portugal, it's probably best known for, of course, port wine, which is a fortified uh, sweet wine um, uh, made from red grapes and also some white grapes. But tell us about some of the wines and grapes that uh, we had a chance to taste today. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really kind of fun because... Portugal, especially as we dive into it, it's really easy to get lost fast because it's almost like Italy where there's a lot of grapes you maybe haven't heard about. The pronunciations can be a little sketchy, but it's a really tiny country. I mean, I think you can fit seven of them in California. So it's amazing that it's this tiny little spot with a lot of diversity. And, you know, for white wines, I mean, it kind of starts with Vino Verde up in the northwest part of Portugal. And traditionally, these kind of slightly off-dry, slightly spritzy, low alcohol, really tart, crisp, racy wines that, for me, drink kind of like an alcoholic lemon-lime Gatorade, <laughs> if that makes any sense. No, I just bought some Gatorade. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and they're like five bucks a bottle. They're awesome. Um, but what has happened is with the modern modernization in the wineries of stainless steel, temperature-controlled fermentations, we're starting to see this lean, crisp, a little bit more fruit-forward, a little bit more serious whites. And then you factor in these kind of crazy indigenous grapes like we had today in Arintu, and then in Aveso. And then also then you throw in like the Spanish grape, Alvarino, or Alvarino, depends what side of the Minho you're on. The Portuguese will claim it, the Spanish will claim it, but they probably both have it. Talking about a river there, folks. <laughs> um, the northern border of Portugal right there with Spain. Um, so you have these whites that, you know, Fernão Perez, these grapes that you don't normally see, but typically speaking, the Portuguese don't take their whites too serious. Is, and I mean, like, they're not trying to oak the heck out of them, get a lot of extraction. They're not trying to make a Montrachet. They're trying to make um, a wine that's delicious and it's refreshing. It goes well with the culture, the food, and the time of the day. Yeah. So it's one of those things that, especially if you're around anything sea-related, you know, like, oh, a chill shellfish platter, it's kind of hard to mess up with Portugal. So it's it was fun today to see, you know, we did four different ones with food, and that's always the best way to show it. And I would say with Portugal, yes, the ports are delicious, but 
throughout the country, there's this crispiness, and that's like my favorite Portuguese term, is they don't talk about acidity. Their wines are crispy. And when you think about it, doesn't everything sound better crispy? <laughs> that's true. Uh, from bacon to potato chips, yeah, um, chicken, pork rinds, fried crispy. chicken, that's right. Extra crispy even. Yeah. Uh, so fun. Well, one of the greatest um, grapes that I've found out of uh, Portugal, uh, white grapes, is uh, Encruzado. Oh, yeah. and I thought that was very Marsan-esque, but I, I still it's hard to quantify because you only get it once or twice and can find it. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, if, if I was to plant a vineyard or buy some land in Portugal, it would probably be the Dao region, which is just south of Douro. Um, and it's home to Incruzado. And for me, it's it's kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, really good Chablis. Like, sometimes kind of Ravenoli Davosat sort of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are very good Chablis yeah. producers that uh, um, are very rare. If you can find it, buy it. Yeah, so it has that kind of mouthfeel, and then when it ages, it's almost like Semillon, where it actually gets kind of waxy, figgy, and then oddly more crispy as it gets older. I had some on my list at the Rainier Club, and it was like one of the prized little bottles that we would direct somebody, I want to try something new, and they really loved it. When it comes to red wines, and actually, you know, with all the port wines and the, the, the great age of the vines and the vineyards, um, the red wines make total sense to, to be presented now to the world because they've got, A, good quality, great price point, but uh, longevity as well. Well, that absolutely, and as we go more and more in this modern world, they have a personality. They have a sense of place. And it, you know, it's a fellow master sommelier, Bob Bath, who's got a great saying, dramatic vineyards make, usually make dramatic wines. And if you've ever been to the Douro, it's some of the most dramatic little vineyards ever. I mean, think Grand Canyon with vineyards going down to the river. <laughs> and it makes perfect sense that the younger generation is like, why are we putting brandy in this? Why are we fortifying this? Maybe what happens if we try to make an actual dry red, and then even a few small little pockets where they're making some whites that are pretty cool. But there's just this earthiness, minerality, combined with great crispiness, great price point, that it's, it's just the only knock I'd have, as they knocked in perfect, <laughs> um, is that the Portuguese are very proud, and they like to drink the best stuff. That's so, right, so it all stays there. Great price points. If, if our listeners want to find um, a website or something, do you have a website that people can go to? Um, Winesofportugal.com? Yeah, I mean, the Winesofportugal.com site has got a lot of information, and it's kind of fun. They actually have a lot of these crazy grapes and pronunciations. Ah, very so, good. That helps quite a bit. And then, um, other than that, Wine Search is pretty darn good for actually finding them in shops. Right. That's great. So. Wow. What a treat. Uh, Keith Golson, Master Sommelier, uh, Director for the Rosebud Hotel. Rosewood. Rosewood Hotel in Washington, D.C. Um, such a pleasure to have you in Seattle. Thanks so much for joining me and Happy Hour Radio. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Look forward to the next time.